0: The other night, I fell asleep in the library, studying for an anthropology test. I woke up at about 5 a.m. to the sound of someone walking through the hallway. I looked up and saw that there was a young woman standing among the shelves looking for a book. And I said, "'Morning!' And she turned to me and looked annoyed. "'Morning!' she said. "'You looking for something in particular?' I asked. She shrugged. "'I don't know. I've already read all of these before.' I looked at the books on the shelves she was thumbing through. They were all labeled as having something to do with the socio-political history of radishes. And I asked, You've read 20-some books about radishes? She shrugged, I guess. Is it interesting? I asked. And she said it's the most interesting thing to do when you're stuck in here forever. And then she vanished. And then I woke up again. My head was half stuck in the bowl of mac and cheese I had made as a study snack, which means one of two things. Either I had just met a ghost, or I really need to start eating better in the evenings. I didn't tell anyone about my ghostly encounter at the library, though I was curious to see if anyone had ever seen The Girl in the Stacks before. Part of me wondered if it was a very elaborate prank that had been pulled on me. This week was Halloween, after all. And if the reading that Dr. Ballard gave me was correct, then this holiday, which had once begun as a group of Celtic farmers attempting to scare off evil spirits with the use of gourds, had now become a traditional way for people to party like maniacs, possibly dressed as a mixture of sexy or scary things. I was prepared for this. In fact, I thought it would be a good chance for me to come out of my shell a little bit. I told Noah this, and asked him if he knew of any good parties that were happening on campus, but Noah said that he doesn't do Halloween. I don't like the idea of monsters, he said, and I hate the idea of people dressing up like serial killers. It's a real epidemic, you know. Serial murder's an epidemic? It's an epidemic, Noah said. I mean, just the other day, I saw someone on campus dressed like sexy Charles Manson. I mean, who is that for? I. I don't know. I had never seen a photo of Charles Manson before, so I said, was real-life Charles Manson not sexy? I know it's pathetic, Noah told me. But I startle easily, and Halloween encourages pranks, not to mention huge amounts of sugar consumption. Diabetes runs in my family, Will, and I won't chance it. So I decided I wouldn't talk to Noah anymore about Halloween, and I certainly wouldn't tell him my library ghost story. But I did tell it to Humphrey the next night when I went in for my 9 p.m. shift in the donkey pit. Humphrey laughed and said, Ah, you saw Susan, did you? Susan, I asked. Ill-tempered young lady in the library, reading books on radishes and whatnots? Yes, I said, how did you know that? Everyone in this town knows Susan, said Humphrey, one of the most famous ghosts in Ohio. I knew her back when she was still alive. Used to work at this very farm when I was starting here back in the 80s. She loved two things, Susan, radishes and cocaine. It was the 80s, you see, and those two things were on everyone's mind. Radishes in the cocaine, cocaine in the radishes, Susan was a horticulture major trying to crossbreed the radishes with the coca plants to create the perfect vegetable, one that could cross the interests of the emerging health food market with the interests of Wall Street. And she'd have done it, too, were it not for a cold case of murder. Murder, I asked. Who? said Humphrey. Yes, murder. Serial killer what lives in this town. Been striking every Halloween since 1987. Susan was one of his first victims, and they never caught him. Now they say she still haunts the campus, and if you want to summon her, you have to look in the library's unisex bathroom mirror around midnight and say, cocaine radishes, three times. And she'll return, searching for the man what killed her. Though, they never have found him. Got so bad, the town had to put in an October curfew. Ten o'clock every night. Uh, Humphrey, I told him. I work until one almost every night. Why didn't you tell me that? Humphrey nodded for a minute and then said, Better to go to one's grave ignorant and live in constant fear. I'm sure he must have thought he had a point, so I didn't argue with him. He told me, Better keep your guard up now. Otherwise, you'll end up dead like Susan, victim of a mad killer on the loose, or of the CIA because she was making cocaine radishes. The CIA? I asked. Humphrey nodded possible. Best not to think about it. Time spent flapping about murder is time spent not shoveling donkey leavings. And in this, he was also correct. Humphrey did let me go early that night so I could hopefully avoid being attacked on the street. I went back to my room and found Noah still sitting up and stewing. What's the matter? I asked. I have a song stuck in my head, Noah told me, and I can't concentrate on falling asleep if I have a song stuck in my head it does sound hard, I said. I mean, it's not unusual, though, right? Noah asked. Like, it happens to you? No, I said. Actually, it never has. You must have something wrong with you. Noah slumped down on his pillow and let out a heavy, whimpering sigh, like, something like that. Aw, I said. Cheer up, bud. Want to go do something fun? No, said Noah. It's very late. It's too late for fun. We're going to go do something spooky, I told him, since it's almost Halloween. Come on, Noah, it'll be fun. I doubt that, Noah said. Look, Will, I get that you have like this wide-eyed puppy dog thing going for you, and so far I haven't been complaining about it because it's mostly been harmless, but I am not that. I like to be in and stay in. I am not a wild animal. I am the virtuous virgin that lives the longest in the horror movie. Noah, I said. It's very rude to talk about your sex life. Now, come on. It took a few minutes, but I finally managed to convince Noah to follow me into the library. We walked up the stairs to the stacks, past the sign that said, Have a problem? Ask your local librarians. A sign I always enjoyed for some reason. And then up to the third floor unisex bathroom. What is this? Noah asked. Well, you should know I'm not a fan of the dark, or of confined spaces. I find them dark and confining, and I will not play Bloody Mary. My cousin Dylan tried to have me play this game when I was a kid, and it freaked me out so bad I peed myself, then he broke my wrist and called me Little Peter Pisspants. He's in a mental hospital now. Probably a good thing, I said. But no, this isn't Bloody Mary. All I need you to do, Noah, is look in the mirror and say cocaine radishes three times. Cocaine radishes? Noah asked. "'That's one,' I said. "'Forget it,' said Noah. "'Will, this is incredibly stupid, and I won't do it. "'I'll tell you what,' I said, "'if you do this, I'll give you 20 bucks, "'and tomorrow morning I will take you "'to the donut store for breakfast.' "'Noah sighed and faced the mirror. "'Cocaine radishes,' he said, "'and then I gave him a thumbs up, "'and he said, "'Cocaine radishes, cocaine radishes.' "'He said it for a third time. "'Nothing happened.' I sighed. I should have known. It wasn't close enough to midnight yet. What was the point of that, Noah asked. Did someone call? Came a voice from behind us. And we turned around, and there in the doorway stood the same young woman I'd seen the night before. You are real, I said. She is real, Noah. This is amazing. Susan, right? Oh, jeez, said the ghost. You've been talking to Humphrey, haven't you? It's not Susan. It's Sydney. And you're... what, the guy that... Fell asleep last night in his macaroni. What's up, macaroni guy? And Noah said, What is this? Is this a prank? Who's he? Sydney asked. This is Noah, I said, my roommate. Noah, this is Sydney. She's a ghost of some sort, apparently. A ghost? Noah asked. You have a problem with that? Sydney asked. You ever seen me before? Every day I see people I've never seen, said Noah. Suppose Humphrey told you how I died, said Sydney. They finally have a lead on that guy, or what? Who, the serial killer? I asked. The serial killer? Noah said. The guy? The guy that kills in town every October? That guy? He's real? Apparently, I said. Shit, said Noah. I thought that was just an urban legend. Oh, said Sydney, he's real. I should know I was one of his first victims. They've had more than 30 years to work on this, and they still can't catch him. And I'm real confused, okay, guys? Like, what's the holdup? All right, I had a future. And then one night, this creepy random dude comes up to me, right? And asks if I want to see a photo of some military guy. And the next thing I know, I'm the ghost. And I had a great life back in 1987, all right? I had a copy of The Princess Bride on VHS. I had the new Fleetwood Mac cassette tape. The Student Union was back to selling Coke Classic. It was 1987, it was a great time. And Noah said, so you can look up a few facts. You're not a ghost. Sydney looked at him for a minute. And then, her eyes (laughs) melted out of her skull, and her hair fell out, and her skin peeled off, and her teeth dropped to the floor where they began chattering. "'Is that right?' she asked. "'Well, maybe we can put that to the test. "'I'm tired of this town just allowing its students to be killed off every year. "'You two go and find the killer yourself by Halloween, "'or I will drag this frail old woman down to hell.' "'I'm sorry,' said Noah. "'You think I'm an old woman?' "'Aren't you?' Sidney asked. "'Regardless, hell. That's right, friends. "'There's a hell, and the only people not going there are the Shakers.'" And with that, Sidney disappeared through the wall. Noah looked over to me and said, "'Will, have I wet myself?' "'I don't think so,' I said. "'Oh,' said Noah. "'Good for me.'" And then he slumped down on the floor, and I sat down next to him and said, "'You know, if you think about it, it's not impossible.'" It's all your fault, Noah said to me. It's you and your stupid... Oh, let's go check out a ghost, Noah. Oh, Noah, you're gonna stay up late and gab like 12-year-olds at the slumber parties. And, oh, Noah, that meat doesn't need to go in the freezer. That raw pork can be eaten just as it is. I decided that this would be a wonderful opportunity to practice something that Dr. Ballard calls... Empathy, which, as I understand it, is just a really spicy cognitive understanding. I'm sensing that you're angry. No shit, I'm angry, Noah told me. I don't want to fucking die. Well, I said, that seems likely. No one wants to die except people who take their own lives. But death does come for us all, don't you see? And it's very possible that this ghost will kill you. But it's not bad, Noah. Look... At least you know there's an afterlife, and you'll get to spend every day of it in hell, according to her. But somehow my words were doing very little to comfort Noah, and so we decided to bring in the reinforcements. Fifteen minutes later, we were knocking on the door of Jess's dorm room. We were greeted by her roommate, whose name I always forget. It's Tiffany. No, that's not right. Regardless, she opens the door and says, Oh, and I'm like, is Jess here? And her roommate, whose name I always forget, says, Jess! About a minute later, we were seated in Jess's room, and she was making us cups of hot chocolate and poured a belt of scotch into Noah's. Relax, she said. No, said Noah. I can't relax. I find it very hard to relax right now, and alcohol will only lull me into a false sense of security. I know, Jess said to him. But if it gets you to stop talking, it'll help me to relax. Then she looked at me and said, So... Much like an eager sophomore in a high school sex ed video, you have pressured someone into damnation. Is that what's happened? It seems to be, I said. You're not shocked to learn that ghosts exist? Noah asked. At this point, Jess, I've stopped caring. The world's imploding and there are Nazis once again marching in public. Now's not really the time to start pulling on the threads of reality. So what do we do? I asked. Well, Jess. Normally, I would suggest going back and telling someone we're not going to play along with something this stupid, but I don't think you'll have that much luck with a ghost. I said, I guess we could look on the brighter side. Yeah, said Jess, a terrific idea. Hey, Noah, what's the best version of eternal damnation? Is it more fire and brimstone with occasional genital mutilation, or is it more trapped in an endless, soundless, sightless, blank void with nothing for company but your own screaming thoughts? Which would you prefer, Mm hmm? Empirically, said Noah, the void, but not by much. That's good, she said, thinking that way. Now, drink your cocoa and fetch a knife. A knife, Noah asked. Yeah, said Jess. It sounds like we have about 48 hours to catch a killer, so I encourage you both to go home, get a good night's rest, and pick out a blunt instrument or an edge weapon. I think this guy's got to be at least in his 50s by now, based on the time frame. So if worse comes to worst, it would help to imply that we could do something horrific to his prostate. Noah drained his cocoa. So, gradually, we returned to our bedroom. By the time we'd gotten back, Noah had started shaking again. "'You okay?' I asked. "'No,' he said. "'I'm not okay. I'm—' "'Please, just tell me if this is a prank, man. This is too much.' "'Noah,' I said, trying to sound as compassionate as possible. "'Listen.' This was all completely accidental. I was just trying to show you this cool thing I found. And Noah said, yeah, because you're an asshole. That's very harsh, Noah. I said, you don't even care, said Noah, that I'm going to die in two days. If we don't get this worked out, you haven't even apologized. (laughs) Why would I apologize? I said, it's not my fault. Noah slumped down on his bed and started to hyperventilate. All right, I said. "'Look now, panic's not going to get us anywhere. "'I have a secret weapon that we can use "'to catch this guy, Noah, if you'll just let me.' "'A secret weapon?' Noah asked. "'Yeah,' I said. "'Do you want me to try and call her up?' "'Noah nodded, and so I called Dr. Ballard. "'She answered after several rings and sounded groggy. "'Hello?' she said. "'Will, is something wrong? It's nearly 1 a.m.' "'Yes,' I said. "'I'm sorry, Dr. Ballard. I hope you're doing all right.' "'I was sleeping,' she said.' ah, I said, that does sound reasonable. Listen, I need you to help with something. I already told you. She said, you can't buy lottery tickets. Will. it's a slippery slope. Believe me, I've been through hell and back on scratch offs. It's not about that. I said, no, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about serial killers. Oh, God. She said, did you watch a Friday the 13th film? Will, what you have to understand is that Jason Voorhees may seem scary, but he won't kill you if you don't come onto his land. And also, he's imaginary. It's not a movie. I said, it's for a paper. She sighed. Fine. Um, yes, serial murderers. Serial murderers typically don't go around wearing dried up William Shatner masks and stabbing people or working as a birthday clown. Most of them display insane behaviors you'd never see, like sending filthy letters to anonymous women or beating their behind senseless, all the while working themselves into a state of quasi-religious ecstasy. And you don't see that in public usually, but I'll say this, most serial murderers have a few things in common. As children, they usually displayed cruelty to animals and a love of starting fires. Many of them suffered traumatic head injuries in their formative years and wet the bed until very late ages. Often they may enjoy returning to the scenes of their crimes, and many take trophies. Right, I said. What about something like hell? Dr. Ballard sighed and said, There probably is no hell, Will. And if there is, it's either in the mind or in Toledo. Toledo? I asked. Think about it, said Dr. Ballard. It's hot and it's ugly, and it smells like sulfur. If hell exists, it's probably Toledo. Is that all, Will? Yeah, I said, thank you, Dr. Ballard, good night. Dr. Ballard hung up, and I said to Noah, see, Toledo, it's not all that bad. All we have to do is find a head-injured, bedwetting, animal-skinning fire starter in his 50s or up, and we're in the clear. I doubt it'll be that hard. So it's okay, Noah, just relax.
1: When we're all gone, remember this lesson, it's not what we'd say. This won't be one of them So let's sing out This handy hearing prize That we're not gonna die tonight Probably not gonna die tonight, no Maybe tomorrow, or the next day From a heart attack, or a jungle cat Or a bloodthirsty bat Ted Bundy's car I couldn't dig up Gacy's bed From a speeding van, or poison clams, or a this quantum post, man. But we're not gonna.
0: day, however, when I told Jess the criteria we were working with, she asked me just how I planned to find such a person. And I'll admit, this was not something I had previously considered. Well, I said, I suppose if I really think about it, We should set up a fake dating service and have him put in all those criteria and say there's a big singles mixer tomorrow night. He comes over expecting to find love, but when he gets there, instead of sexy singles, boom, it's the cops! Admittedly, said Jess, one could poke almost no logical holes in that plan. But let's think of something else. Yeah, said Noah, he'd never go to a group thing. It'd be too hard to murder any of them. Jess said she thought maybe a better way of taking care of this was to talk to someone who had been around long enough to have a decent read on the place. With that in mind, we decided once again to pay a visit to my RA, Kevin. Kevin was in the hallway vacuuming Halloween decorations that the school had put up earlier off the wall. Shouldn't those go down on November 1st? I asked. Ordinarily, said Kevin, you'd be absolutely right about that, but over the past few years, we've noticed that students tend to use this devil's night as an excuse to saturnale and commit acts of vandalism and drunken fornication, and these decorations present a great temptation to the average firebug. Right, I said, listen, Kev, speaking of firebugs, you don't happen to know any compulsive firebugs over the age of 50, do you? Kevin sighed, is this about the serial killer? You know about the serial killer, said Noah. I do not. (laughs) Serial killers. Such things don't happen in towns like this. So every year, like clockwork, people turn up in this town with their throats slashed. (laughs) That doesn't mean anything. People drive like drunken hyenas around Halloween. I suspect it's all a series of unrelated hit-and-runs. Cars go fast enough, and who knows what it could look like. Probably like a car accident, said Jess. Kevin said, we may never know. And then he got a phone call. He listened for a minute and then said yes, he'd let people know. Let us know what, Noah asked. There's apparently been a murder in town, if you can call it that. Some flower girls turned up with her throat cut. There's still flower girls," Jess asked. Well, said Kevin, she was playing one in the community theater production of My Fair Lady. And now, thanks to a car accident... Her promising stage career has been cut short. I have to send an email. Excuse you. Just looked at Kevin and then said, boo. Kevin flinched and went on for a minute about how this was a strident and diminishing way to talk. Later that day, an email came out from Dr. Collins. Scary things happen, he told us, but this is a fine town and we're lucky to be in it. Where else but the charming little town of New Cardiff could you find both Ohio's largest rabid animal sanctuary and the state hospital for the morbidly obese? He concluded the email by saying he wanted to assure us that he loved us all very much and that safety was his number one concern. We should alert our RAs if we saw anyone suspicious. We went down to the quad after that. I called down to the police station while Jess bought us all coffees. Noah, who typically wasn't one for coffee, drank his down very quickly. When the officer answered me, I said to her, Hi there, I'm a concerned member of the community, and I have a great vested interest in the current string of serial killings. "'Do you think you might give me some information about the killings previously?' And the officer said, "'Oh, God, another one of you. "'Sir, we do not give out this information, "'and we are not amenable to creeps trying to get their jollies over the phone. "'I am hanging up now.' And then she hung up. "'Well, that was Kurt,' I said. Jess took out her computer and said, You know, you'd think a college with such a renowned English program could come up with a more creative name for a serial killer than the serial killer. What are you doing? I asked. And she said, I'm Googling the serial killer, Will. What do you think? Sitting here calling the police station like a housewife in 1982, honestly. And Noah asked if while she was doing that, could she possibly look up tattoo parlors nearby? "'This is my last night on Earth,' said Noah. "'I'm gonna get a big old tattoo and drink some absinthe, "'the real kind that makes you see ghosts.' "'You hate drinking,' I said. "'And needles. "'You told me you once fainted getting a flu shot. "'I beg you not to do this.' "'Why?' said Noah. "'I'm not gonna regret it. "'I'm gonna have a drink and get a tattoo "'and tell my stepfather to go pound salt. (laughs) "'It's gonna be great.' "'Good for you,' said a voice behind us. "'Live a little bit. "'Life is too short.' We turned around and saw a very sweet-looking elderly man pushing a cart of cookies and cupcakes. "'Who are you?' I asked. "'Martin Mershiner,' said the old man. "'I run the bakery down in the town. "'The school wants me to come up and test out my pumpkin bars for the fall. "'Does anyone want a pumpkin bar?' "'I'll take one,' said Noah. "'Excellent,' said Mr. Mershiner. "'Also, please, while you're here, do be sure to stop into my shop. "'Martin Mershiner's Marzipan and Shortening.' That's a bit of a mouthful, said Jess. That's very nice, said Noah, but actually I'm probably going to die tomorrow night, so I don't know if that's possible. Ah well, said Mr. Mershner. these things do happen. Good afternoon to you all. He walked off, and Jess told us that she was going to go back to her dorm and work on some homework. Tomorrow, she said, we would really hit the ground running, interrogating old folks in retirement homes and even going door to door if that was what it took. In the meantime, just said, don't do anything stupid, and Noah, do not get a tattoo. That night, Noah got drunker than I'd ever seen him and took a taxi into the next town over where he went to go browse tattoos. When he came back, he had a small zigzagging line on his ankle. What's that supposed to be, I asked him. I don't know, said Noah. This is all they did before I started screaming in pain and abject terror. Doesn't really matter, though, does it? ''I guess not,'' I said. ''Kinda looks cool, actually.'' And Noah said, ''Don't placate me. This is all your fault.'' Noah slumped down on the bed and sighed. ''You know, I've never been to Paris.'' ''A lot of people haven't been to Paris, Noah. I've never been to Paris.'' ''Yeah,'' said Noah, ''but my dad's family is part French.'' ''I don't know. I always wanted to go there and see the cemetery with all the famous drug addicts.'' ''Can you have me buried there, Will?'' Can you have me buried at the famous drug addict cemetery? Sure, I said, if that'll make you happy. Noah faced the wall then, and for a moment, I could hear him softly whimpering to himself. And I felt a hot, nervous feeling bubbling up in my stomach. For a minute, I thought it must have been indigestion, but then I remembered I hadn't eaten dinner yet. I realized that this was the feeling they called guilt oh god, it was terrible. Guilt and... What else was this? I think it was the thing they call empathy. I got out of bed and said, They're there. Because that was something that Dr. Ballard says people sometimes say in these situations. And then I left the room and went down to the library and heated up another bowl of mac and cheese and sat in my usual study spot and waited for it to clear out and then said, Are you here, Sydney? What's up, numb nuts? came a voice from behind me. I turned and saw Sydney emerging from the wall. You here to play some blackjack? What? No. Oh, said Sydney. I used to love that game. I've been wanting to play it for ages. That's not why I'm here, I said. I just want to talk. I think you should consider maybe the possibility of sparing my roommate, Sydney? He's a really good guy, and it's you know, maybe he doesn't have to die over this. Okay, said Sydney. Well, have you caught the real killer? I... No. But we made a real attempt at it today, though. Oh, said Sydney. Well, no. Our deal is what it always was. Either you catch the killer, or tomorrow at midnight, you know? <sighs> and I said, is it really worth killing Noah, though? I mean... <laughs> "'Is more death really the answer?' "'Will,' she said. "'I'm really sorry, but something's gotta give. "'I mean, how is it fair that I've spent 30 years walking this hallway? "'Why should I be the only one who has to be hurt over this?' "'Noah wasn't even alive when you died,' I said. "'He has nothing to do with this.' "'Oh well,' said Sydney. "'Look, I'm sorry, but my mind is made up. "'Someone else has to go down for this. "'It's been too long coming.' Okay, I said. If that's how you really feel, you should kill me instead. You? But I was really looking forward to killing your roommate, though. I know, I said. But you should take me instead. I made Noah do the ritual. I was the one who wanted to see what would happen. It's my fault, and you should take me. Is that right? Sydney asked. Yes, I said. She looked at me for a minute and then said, Will, what's your game here? Why are you so interested in me anyway? I can't imagine we have anything remotely in common. Actually, I said, I think you'd be surprised. Explain, and I said, I was a lake monster for the first 18 years of my life. I waited, expecting Sydney to stop me, but she didn't. So I went on, I was the Davenport lake monster. I lived up by Lake Erie. At one point, I'm fairly certain I subsisted on a diet of possums and cats, so I don't know where I was born. I don't know my parents. All I know is that a company turned me into a lake monster doing some sort of genetic test that I don't actually know anything about. So that's my life. I get it, Sydney. I do. I know what it's like to lose years of your life to some faceless thing and not know why. And I know it's terrible and I know it's cruel, but I know. That's my life, Sydney. I get it. Sydney stared at me for a minute longer and then walked over to the shelves and took out a book. This, she said, is a compendium of contemporary hauntings, happenings, curiosities, calamities, occurrences, and oddities by Mr. J.R. Gelpie. Spook Stories for the 21st Century. Chapter 7. Scourge of the Great Lakes. A measured history of the Davenport Lake Monster. She handed me the book, and I said, wow, this guy must just want to marry his thesaurus. Well, she said, he knows about you, Will, As a matter of fact, I'd be disinclined to believe you if I hadn't read this book. So you're either telling the truth or, you know, crazy. I'm not crazy, I said. It's true, Sydney. It's all true. Sydney said, well, shit, man, that's a tragic story, and I'm sorry about it. But do you really want to give up your second shot at life for your idiot roommate? I do, I said. Sydney shrugged. Okay. Well, if that's what you want, tomorrow night my people will be in touch with your people. And for what it's worth, Will, it's gonna really bum me out. Well, I said, you could always not. But Sydney had already disappeared through the wall. I went back to the dorm and found Noah slumped in bed, cutting large pieces of cardboard into the shape of a deerstalker hat. Noah, I said, What are you doing? Noah, he said, affecting a very strange accent. Why, whatever the devil do you mean, old chap, I'm Inspector British, and you're my faithful sidekick, Rustin, the town flasher. We're about to go and track down the disappearance of Lady Port Marmalade's diamond-encrusted chihuahua, don't you see? Right, I said. So, I'm guessing that what's happened is you've had some sort of breakdown since I've been gone and imagined yourself as a... Legally safe knockoff of several famous fictional detectives. Jolly rolls, I shouldn't think, said Noah. The idea came to me after I paid one of the lassies down the hall to let me take a deep inhale of her hairspray. But now, let's adieu, Rustin. We must hasten to catch the serial murderer, doesn't one know? One does now, I said. And then, going into the closet, I took out two sweatshirts and instructed Noah to sit very still while I fashioned a makeshift straight jacket around him. What in the devil's knob is this, Rustin? Noah said. I've many important meetings. I haven't a minute to depose tense. I must... <sighs> Noah fell asleep then, on the little futon. I climbed into my own bed and read for an hour before I too fell asleep. The next morning, Jess met us on the quad early. She had gone out the night before and had bought a hammer from the hardware store, and had also bought a kitchen knife, which she had taken from her building. First we bash him, then we slash him, she explained. Noah was doing exceptionally poorly that morning. He wore sunglasses and walked quite slowly to accommodate his ankle. The sounds of people talking at high volumes made him wince with pain. This morning, Jess told us, we're really going to search the entire town. Everyone over the age of 50 gets tailed. We all agree to that. It's 8 a.m. We have 16 hours. We're not going to stop. And so we started. We started by searching locales where it might have been out of place to find 50-year-old creeps. The toy store, the playground, the Bernie Sanders Museum. These were the first places we checked. We checked. Then we moved on to common haunts for people who would have come of age in or before the 1980s. The porcelain doll shop, the golf course, the Prostate Hall of Fame, these were the places we checked, but still they were almost empty and no one there seemed to be acting that suspiciously. Finally, Jess drove us to the back alley behind the community playhouse where the actress playing the flower girl had been found. And there, we found a strange-looking middle-aged man who walked with a limp, who was looking around the chalk outline. He wore a long trench coat and was fumbling around in his pockets nervously. Jess took out her hammer and we started to approach the man, but as we approached, he stepped out of the alley. "'He's fleeing,' I said. "'What should we charge?' Jess yelled. And Noah grabbed his head and said, "'Loud! It's too loud!' Jess ran from the alley and I took off running after her. We made it about halfway down the street when we came across the man again. He was kneeling on one leg, standing in front of a woman. In his hands, he held a small box. I thought I'd dropped it in the alley back there, he was explaining, but it was in my pocket, so won't you marry me? And the woman said, oh, of course I will. The people around them, including me, started clapping. Damn it, Jess said. It's an engagement. Finally, Noah approached us. Did you catch him? No, I said. It's better than that, Noah. They caught each other. Whatever, said Noah. I'm hungry. It was about eleven, and we hadn't eaten breakfast. I looked around and saw we weren't far from Martin Mershner's marzipan and shortening. Why don't we go here, I said. Noah slumped down on the park bench. You two go ahead. What do you want? I asked him. I want a sticky muffin. You can have either a sticky bun or a muffin, said Jess. I want a sticky bun, Noah said. Listen, mister, said Jess. You can have either one or the other, or we can load back in that car and not get anything, but that is up to you. Muffin, said Noah. Okay, said Jess. We'll get you a muffin. Come on, Will. And so we walked into the bakery. Martin Mershner stood behind the counter. He smiled as we walked in. Well, fancy seeing you two again. You here for those pumpkin bars? Yeah, said Jess. I guess I'll have one. Uh, We need one pumpkin bar, one... Will, what do you want? Powdered sugar donut. Yeah, one of those, and one muffin. And three coffees. You want the muffin sticky? Mr. Merschner asked. It's only 60 cents extra. No, thank you, said Jess. Suit yourself, said Martin Merschner. Not that I'm unhappy for the business, but... "'What are you young people doing out on this fine fall day?' "'We're hunting the serial killer,' I told Mr. Mershner. "'Oh, that old story,' he said. "'Why would you ever want to fuss around with something like that? "'Not worth the trouble if you ask me.' "'Maybe not,' I said. "'Mr. Mershner handed us our food in a bag and told us the price. "'I turned to Jess, but she was distracted looking at the display of cupcakes "'that Mr. Mershner had set up in his display case.' On each of them was an intricately designed fondant flower. Mr. Mershner repeated the total. I've got it, I said. You fancy a cupcake? He asked Jess. No, thank you, she said. Well, he said, happy hunting. I hope you do find who killed poor Nina. Nina, I said. It's funny. I didn't know they had released her name. He paused for a second and then said, oh... Well, lots of officers come in here. You know, I I overhear things. I nodded, right? That's very good, Mr. Mershner. Here's the money. And as I went to hand it to him, there was a minute where our eyes connected. And then he said he'd forgotten something in the back room and then took off running. Jess and I looked at each other and both shouted, shit, and then we ducked under the counter and took off after him. In the back room of the store, we found a door which led to a staircase. We went down it and into the basement. The basement of the store was cavernous and dark and smelled like blood, so much so that I could actually hear Jess starting to gag. It was a familiar smell to me. I wasn't happy about that, but I pressed on. Give me your hammer, I said. She did. I walked down into the darkness of the store. Mr. Mershner, I said, Is this where you do it? You lure them down here with the promise of free baked goods and then kill them?" There was no answer, just the sound of footsteps. And then a gun, firing a few inches above my head. I ducked down to the ground. "'Could have been easy, son,' he said. "'You could have just bought some pumpkin bars and walked off. They're delightfully festive!' And then the gun fired again, the bullet landing only a foot from my head, maybe. I stood up again and ran, but this time he was faster than me. He ran past me and past Jess, pushing her out of the way and up to the cellar door. He flipped on the light switch and pointed the gun to us. All you had to do, he said, was walk away. I gave you that option. But you're not going to take me and my store down. I have been a cultural institution in this town for more than 30 years, and that is not changing because the Junior Detective Club decided to get blabby. There will always be a Martin Merchner's marzipan and shortening. There will be a Martin Merchner's marzipan and shortening on every block of every town in America. We are going to expand. We're going to monopolize. And in a hundred years, they will unfreeze my glorious cryogenically frozen head to preside over the greatest chain of homicidal baked goods stores in American history. He aimed the gun at me, and then the door opened full force, and Mr. Mershner let out a yelp and then fell headfirst down the stairs. There was a loud cracking sound, and then he landed on the ground, twitching and turning blue. Noah stood in the doorway and said, does anyone actually work here or is this like a mafia shell company? And then he looked on the ground and saw the dead old man at the bottom of the stairs and let out this long, high-pitched yell, like, "Ah!" and I said, Noah, it's okay. You got him. That's the serial killer. The baker, Noah asked. Yeah, I said, apparently. "'You got the serial killer, buddy. Good job.' "'Oh,' said Noah. "'Yes, I... I did. I...' And then he sagged to his knees and passed out. Still holding onto the railing, Jess and I walked up the stairs and helped Noah out of the store. As we did, we passed Kevin, who had entered and was waiting at the snack counter. "'What the hell are you people doing here?' he asked. And Noah, barely conscious and on the brink of nausea, said, "'Justice!' Later that day, we received an email from Dr. Collins telling the entire school that the 30-plus reign of terror conducted by a seemingly innocent bakery owner had been brought to an end thanks to the swift thought and courage of one exceptional young man, Kevin Rutherford. I ran into Dr. Collins on the quad and told him that there had been a mistake. Kevin had not caught the serial killer. Well, said Dr. Collins, maybe not. But he was the one there when the police arrived, so he's the one getting the credit. It may not be right, or fair, or even factually correct, but that's the American judicial system for you. Well, I said, at least Sydney can finally get some peace. Dr. Collins laughed. Wait, you did all this for the library ghost? You know about the library ghost, I asked. "'Of course I do,' said Dr. Collins. "'We all know Sydney. "'Don't you know anything, Hughes? "'She wasn't murdered by the serial killer. "'Everyone knows she was murdered by the CIA. "'She was making cocaine radishes to sell to the Palestinians, "'and the CIA didn't like it, so they had her throat cut. "'You didn't know that? "'It's an open secret in town.' "'The CIA?' I asked. "'Shh,' said Dr. Collins. "'They're probably listening to us talk.' I suggest you just smile and nod. And so I did. But that night, I went back to the library around midnight. I found Sydney sitting there waiting for me, poring over the book she'd shown me the previous night. Well, she said, did you find him? Sort of, I said. We found a serial killer, and we did stop him, but I don't think it was your guy, because apparently you were killed by the CIA. The CIA, she asked. Yeah, I said. Anyway, that's what Dr. Collins said, so as you can imagine, it would be pretty hard for us to track down one particular CIA assassin. It's possible the guy who killed you isn't even alive anymore, so you know, justice kinda done. Sydney sighed. Are you gonna kill me? I asked. No, she said. I'm not gonna kill you, Will. I guess you did the best you could. You didn't get my guy, but you got a guy, and that doesn't mean nothing, so kudos. Thanks, I said. She passed me the book. I've been reading up on you, she said. You have led a heck of an interesting life. I'm sure I have, I said. You should read about yourself. Haven't you ever been curious? No, I said. I don't remember hardly anything, and... As best I can tell, that's a gift. That part of my life is over, Sid. I don't want to wallow in it. What if it could tell you your parents' names? Or your real name? Or something about yourself? Wouldn't you like that? I'd like that more than anything, I said. But I also think that this book is going to tell me a lot of things I wish I didn't know. And I doubt my parents' names are in there. Or mine. Sidney took the book back. Someday, she said, you will look in here, Will. You know that, right? Someday, I said, but not today. Sydney sighed and said, well, when that day comes, you'll know where to find it, but until then, Will, it's been nice. I wish you the best, but I should get back to haunting the stacks and rattling the old chains. You're just going to stay here, I asked. Nothing better to do. You could move on, I said. I mean, look at me. If a sea monster can become a human, a ghost can leave a place. And do what, she asked. I mean, I don't like being stuck here day after day, but I've been doing this longer than I ever did anything else, and I've gotten kind of used to being here. Yeah, but you're stuck here, and you're choosing to be. And, she said... At least it's a place to be stuck. Look, I I know you think that's probably pretty sad, but I'm not like you. I'm dead will. I can't just move on because there's nothing to move on to. There's this and I said, I thought you said there was a hell. And she said, "Yeah, maybe there's a hell, maybe there's a heaven, but right now there's this and that's all I know for sure." And you can't talk me out of staying here. I'm sorry. You did enough for me, but I think you should go. And I think you should find somewhere else to study, because I'm not going to show up for you again. I started to say something else, but I realized it was no good. Sydney was staying here, and I had to go. I picked up the book and went to put it back on the shelf. I opened it for a minute and then closed it again quickly and put it back. Then I walked out. I don't know what it takes to move on. I don't know how scary it is to do that, but I couldn't fault Sydney. She and I had something in common, I guess. We'd both been inhuman longer than we'd been anything else. And maybe for her, there was no way back. Maybe she resented me because I had the one thing she would never have again, that chance to move on. But... That doesn't mean that I never went back there. I did go back one more time. The next night, I went back with a dish of mac and cheese and a deck of playing cards. And even though Sydney was nowhere in sight, I laid them out like a blackjack table. I waited for a minute more, looking at the hand I had placed for her. And then I heard twin thumps on the table in front of me. I laid down another card for her and then drew another one for myself. It was a queen on my 17. I reached into my pocket and took out a quarter, which I slid across the table. Lucky first try, I told her. And then, raising my fork to my mouth, I said, Cheers.